If you'd like to, go ahead and take a seat. So normally we uh, dismiss our kids at this time, but uh, we're, we're going uh, to hold our kids in here just for a minute. David, would you mind grabbing me a stand, please? So uh, last week we began a new teaching series, and, uh, and normally we do really exciting stuff like Leviticus and Ecclesiastes. Hold on, we're going to do Nehemiah next, that's coming. But uh, every now and then we, we like to mix things up and do something a little bit different. And so we started a new, oh, thank you. Uh, we started a new series last week uh, uh, based on a book by Michael Frost uh, called Surprise the World. And, and he, he wrote this book, and, it, and it's traveling around internationally, and they're actually on sale in, in, in our four-year if you want to kind of follow along. But uh, it's kind of sort of based on, uh, in First Peter, uh, the instruction is for Christians to always be ready to give a response for the hope that they have, to, to always be ready to give an answer. And that, that, that instruction has the, the presupposition or, or the supposition that, that, that people are actually asking questions about our Christian lives. That we're living in, in such a way that our, that our lives are, are curious and questionable. And we talked about last week, you know, like, you know, cutting your grass and driving to work and taking your kids to soccer. I mean, these things aren't bad, but they're not really exactly curious or questionable. And so Frost wrote this book to what would it look like if we, if we live questionable lives, if we, if we began to put into practice John 15 uh, of these, these kind of fruit-producing lives. Jesus said, when you produce much fruit, then you're my true disciples. When, when you start to live as followers of Jesus, like you begin to live in a way different from our culture, different from the world. Even, even now, today, you begin to live in questionable ways. And so Frost wrote this book, and, and like I said, it's traveling around internationally right now. It, it literally, in every country, churches are putting these five practices of a questionable, curious life into practice. The, the first practice was, uh, we, went, we went over it last week. Do you remember what it was? Anyone remember? Your homework was to bless three people, at least one of whom who is not a friend or member of our church. So how did you do? Did you guys bless? Bless on purpose. Did the people you bless know that they've been blessed? So uh, uh, we're going to give you a chance. I warned you last week. We're going to give you a chance to share who you blessed and how you blessed in a few minutes around your tables. Uh, but one of the stories that came back to us this week, uh, it wasn't very long. Uh, and I got a text early on this week um, from someone who got a text from someone. Uh, uh, apparently, this person who doesn't go to our church was driving through the line at Starbucks, you know, in the, in the mile and a half long line, uh, waiting for their coffee. When they actually got up to the window, uh, the, the cashier said, hey, your coffee's already been paid for. And there was a little note or there was a little card written that said, you've been blessed by Aspen Grove Christian Church. And what we had no way of knowing is that the person who was blessed uh, was not a, is not a friend of this church, so you get credit. Um, but knew somebody who was a friend of this church, and so actually texted, hey, I just got blessed by Aspen Grove Christian Church. And so that message came all the way back to us. And so one of the things we thought would be fun to do is uh, actually on your table, you'll, you see little uh, business cards that say, you've been blessed by Aspen Grove Christian Church. So uh, we, uh, that, that whole habit of blessing three people a week, uh, we actually want that to be a habit. That wasn't a one-time deal. So I want you to take some cards, go out there. Now, if you have our card and our logo and our name, we're trusting you big time, all right? <laughs> so if you uh, give that card or leave that card, man, make sure what you do is a, is a true blessing. So uh, uh, 
you, uh, you bless three people a week. That's our first habit. I want to talk more about our second habit, which is around a table and eating and some of that kind of stuff, which is perfect for Father's Day. And, and so uh, uh, to, to get us started, let's, uh, let's recognize our dads just for a minute. So uh, why don't you just roll that, roll that clip. <laughs> So uh, can we celebrate our dads? Let's clap for them. <clears throat> All right, now kids, I need your help. So kids, you guys come on up here. So uh, the moms always, we always do flowers or chocolate or something like that for the moms. So for the dads, we have to do something. Uh, so we got special Southern Jerky Company, beef jerky, homemade uh, uh, beef jerky. So kids, take these, carry them, pass them out to the, all the dads, to the guys in our room. There you go. There's several different kinds. Thanks. <laughs> Sweet. Perfect. Make sure all of our men get some. There we go. Awesome. Thank you, kids, for helping. So have any of you uh, seen, uh, seen the awesome reflexes of your dad catching kids like that, doing those kind of things? You know, the video doesn't show that the kids are in those situations because of their dads, too, you know. What better teaching uh, uh, for Father's Day than a teaching uh, revolving around eating, uh, a teaching revolving around meals and around tables? How many of you have a table in your house? How many seats do you have at your table? How many of you got six? Do, we, do any of you still have the big dining room table in the room that never gets used or twice a year gets used? Six seats around your table, four seats around. Um, what's not allowed at your dining room table? Are there things not allowed at your dining room table? Did you say fireworks? Oh, firearms. Okay. That's a good rule, I guess. It is the South, though. I mean, uh, 
What else? What what are or phones? Are are electronics allowed at your table? Here's a great teaching of do as I say, not as I do. Um, yeah, we try to get our kids to put their phones down, leave your phones somewhere else. And, and the truth is, like, our, our, our tables have this kind of power about them. What kind of occasions draw you to the table? Right? Aren't there special moments that are, are table times? And what kind of conversations happen at the table? What's it like when your table is full? How does that make you feel? What's the feel of the house when every seat at your table is full? You see, table is uh, around a table. A table is a place of invitation, a, a place of family. Table is around the table should, should feel comfortable. Uh, the, the table is a great equalizer. Everyone is on the same level. Uh, I have a great friend who advocates this. You know, in churches we have pews and sometimes we sit in rows, but, but there's something that happens when we sit facing each other. There's a power of sitting in circles, sitting facing one another. It reminds us of our connectedness, uh, the, the inherent humanity of all of us. Haven't you seen that? When you sit at a table and everyone is equal and everyone is, is all of a sudden together, unless you're stuck at that kid's table. I love, a, there's a theologian, but also a personal chef named uh, Simon Carey Holt. He had this great quote about this I want to share with you. He said, it is through the daily practice of the table that we live a life worth living. Through the table, we know who we are, where we come from, what we value and believe. At the table, we learn what it means to be family and how to live in responsible, loving relationships. Through the table, we live our neighborliness and citizenship. We express our allegiance to, to particular places and communities, and we claim our sense of home and belonging at the table, we celebrate beauty and express solidarity with those who are broken and hungry. If you're looking for a deeply meaningful, deeply theological symbol of Christian gathering, before Christians ever had buildings and screens and pulpits, what they had was tables, symbols of hospitality, inclusivity of generosity and grace and jesus knew the power a meal could have jesus knew the power of sitting around a table in fact the, the whole table idea the whole idea of eating and drinking is one of the ways that jesus was known in the ancient world in luke chapter 7 verse 34 it says the son of man came eating and drinking and, and it wasn't that just that he liked to eat, but he saw the table as this great symbol of what the kingdom could be like. Do you doubt me? Look in uh, Mark, in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Look on the screen. It said that Jesus went out to the lake shore again, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth, Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. And later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as what? What are those two words? Dinner guest. Along with who? Many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. 
There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such, what's the word? You are the scum between my toes. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And how did he do it? Around a table. This is a powerful thing that's happening. In Jesus' time, a, a person would not eat with someone of different social standing. You just wouldn't do it. And certainly not with someone of a different religion. For example, Gentiles or prostitutes. Sinners and tax collectors, you would not eat with them. Yet it tells us that Jesus turned this idea on its head. The act of Jesus was to reverse the structure. He, he would have communion first and then conversion second. His table fellowship with sinners implied no acquiescence in their sins, for the gratitude of the reign of God canceled none of its demands. But in a world in which sinners stood intellectually condemned Jesus' openness through the table was irresistible. And his contact triggered repentance. Conversion flowered from communion. And in the tense little world of the ancient Near East where religious meanings were the warp of, of the social order, this was a potent phenomenon. I love that quote from Frost. He says, conversion flowered from communion. Conversion flowered from a time of table together. Is it any wonder that Jesus says, when you get together, why don't you do it around a table? Look what it says in Luke chapter 22, verses 19. It says, Jesus, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in, do this to remember me, in remembrance of me. Have this moment. And it wasn't just the bread and the cup, which are, are profoundly symbolic and important, but it was something about that table experience. He said, when you want to remember me, do so not with sermons and singing, but with a meal around the table together. And that's, we know that's exactly what his followers did in Acts. In Acts chapter 2, verses 46, it says, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's supper and shared their what? with great joy and generosity. Uh, just this past week, I had a, uh, our, our kind of monthly shepherds meeting, and I want to brag on your shepherds. You've got a, several shepherds here at this church, elders, shepherds, uh, called by God to lead this church. And we had kind of our monthly meeting, and we gathered in, in, in our boardroom around the biggest table we have in the county, I think, um, and we had, uh, we had Jim and Nick's, which I love. 
That always greases the wheels when I want something from the shepherds. I always make sure we have extra good food. Um, and we sat together around the table and we shared a meal. And as a part of our meal time, as a part of our time together, we had, I want to brag on the shepherds, we had the most powerful, meaningful time of prayer I've had in the, in the four and a half years I've been at Aspen Grove. Your, your leaders prayed incredible, big God prayers. It's prayed such big prayers for this church and for the future of this place that, that if it happens and when it happens, we can only go, you know, God did that. And it happened around the table. A community of brothers coming together, participating in the kind of kingdom that Jesus wanted. Eating has been a central Christian practice since the beginning of our movement. And not just eating uh, uh, sacramentally, as in the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, but eating missionally as a way to express love for all. Eating as a way of expressing great joy and generosity. Eating as eating and gathering around the table as a way of participating in God's kingdom, will, and design here and now. And so we're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to shut up. Teaching time is going to be done. We've, uh, we've strategically positioned you around tables for this purpose. And so in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer for you. And on the table, you will find the elements of communion, the, the, the bread and the, and the juice, which represent the, the broken body and blood of Jesus Christ. And as we enter this time, we, we want you to break the bread and share the juice. We want you to, to step into this moment of remembrance of all that Christ means and all that his sacrifice meant, his death, his burial, and resurrection. We want you to remember that and celebrate that, but we want you to do it face to face. And as a part of your communion time, I want to give you a couple of other instructions. We're just going to create a, a space for some table time. Can you handle that? And maybe a couple of you are at tables. There's maybe just three or four men. Join together with another table and make a big table together. At your tables as you celebrate and remember Christ and, and everything that he stood for, Share how you blessed someone this past week. Who did you bless and how did you forget to do your homework? It's okay. Table's a great place to repent, right? Who did you bless and how? Let's, let's share how is this, this thing that is happening in us, how, how are we living it out in practical ways? Maybe even around your table if you have enough time. Share your, your favorite memory of your dad. Was it a moment when he caught you at just the right place? And maybe if you, if, you, if you really want extra brownie points, man, what Christ-like quality do you see in your dad or did you see in your dad? You know, we just sang a song about our good, good father. What I don't want you to do is to make this complicated, right? You already eat how many times a week? Like, a lot. Teenagers in here are like, oh yeah, we eat all the time. Like, you already do this. So we're not creating something that's difficult. Maybe it feels a little bit different for you. But I invite you to enjoy a meal together, just a simple meal, just for a few moments, face to face. Share Christ together. I invite you 
to participate in something incredibly sacred, but also incredibly simple. All right, so what do you think? Can you do this? Are you ready? You know what you're doing? All right, this is not, we're not done. (laughs) Do I need to stand at the back door and guard it? No, we actually want you to just sit and enjoy some time together. I know, I know maybe that's tough. All right, so let me say a prayer for us uh, to enter into this time of Eucharist of communion together. Father God, you are a good, good father. As a dad, God, I, I'm, I'm constantly aware of, of the, the times that I've messed up, the times that I've slipped up, the, the mistakes that I've made. And, and God, they're, they're real and they're prevalent. But Father God, you are a good, good father, so much, so much better than me. And Father God, for, for some of us, we, we, had, we had dads that, man, they just screwed up and they failed and uh, uh, maybe they weren't there. But Father, you are the good, good father. You, are, you, you complete every, <laughs> every part of me that, that's lacking. And so, Father, as we enter into this time of communion, we remember you. We remember the sacrifice of your own son, Jesus Christ, his, his death on a cross for us to bring us back into your family, to restore humanity, to, to build, to bring your kingdom here, to forgive us of all of our sins. Father, we remember the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. As we, as we drink this cup and as we break this bread, we remember his body broken and, and bled for us because you loved us. And so, Father God, let us enter into this sacred and simple time, this, these few moments around the table. Let us celebrate you and who you are and what you've done. Father God, let, let words of, of encouragement and peace pour from our lips. Let us celebrate your work in our lives, the, the, how we see you moving in our world. Father God, we love you. Pour your spirit on us as we enter into this time of communion, this time of Eucharist, this time of Thanksgiving, this time of table. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, Amen. I invite you to enjoy a time of communion and table together. So how did you do? Did, 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 did this feel weird or did this feel kind of like a, this, this felt like a natural thing? Did it feel kind of natural? Man, you guys are, uh, uh, I know that was just a few moments, but, but what you just participated in has, has powerful, deep meaning. Uh, what you just did, what you just participated in, may be the best way to advance the gospel, way to advance the cause of Christ in our community. Did you know that? Think about, maybe some of you have empty seats around your table. Who could you fill uh, who could fill those seats? Who do you know that could fill seats around your table? What would it be like if you intentionally stepped out and began to, to meet and to eat and invite people around your table? Think of the impact you would have. Would you produce fruit? Would you produce the kind of lasting fruit that Jesus said would come from being his disciple, from being his follower? I want to give you uh, your homework uh, your homework is uh, to continue with the blessing track. So some of you were gone last week. You were like, oh, well, I wouldn't hear it. Don't matter. <laughs> Glad you're here this week. Guess what? So I, I challenge you. Uh, uh, and why don't, you, uh, why don't we just read these two things together? Read them together. I will bless three people this week, at least one of whom who is not a friend of Aspen Grove. And I will 
eat with three people this week, at least one of whom is not a friend of Aspen Grove. Alan Hirsch said that sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person or a neighbor into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. What do you think? You think he's right? So I send you out with this, this, uh, this great commission. You're already going to have roughly, uh, well, we're Americans, so we don't have 21 meals a week. We have, what, 30 or 40? Um, you're already going to have a whole parcel of meals this week, right? You probably already have a lunch meeting scheduled with someone. I'm just inviting you to step into it, to see it as an opportunity to participate and celebrate God's kingdom come here. So I challenge you, I want you to at some point this week to find three meals, to invite three people, have, maybe you could even, you might even be able to eat with all three people at one meal together and think, man, some, I'm super efficient. That's great. And while you sit around the table, I don't want you to tell them the five finger step to salvation. That's not what this is about. But it's okay to pray. It's okay to share Christ together. It's okay to, to speak words of, of kindness and peace and generosity, right? Why don't you just start by looking at someone and having a conversation? Doesn't it start there? In simple ways, doesn't it start with an invitation? Jesus came eating and drinking. Now I send you out with that same sacred purpose. Go this week. Invite people around your table. As we wrap up our time together, I want to tell you